You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. And we are back with another episode of Trending. Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy is with me today. Now, his work that led him to his PhD surrounded not only the area of marriage and family, but specifically character formation. And it's incredible getting to read his dissertation, um, diving into the in-depth elements of what should produce a fully formed character. And so we're going to unpack some of that today, specifically from the perspective of uh, St. John Paul the Great. You hear about about his theology of the body. And in much of my work, I often talk about how, you know, the summation of theology of the body is to become a gift of self. Sure. We're going to break down what makes you capable and able to give yourself as a gift in a culture that's struggling with marriage, uh, to make the commitment to marriage with a culture that is no longer having children. Um, we we're seeing fertility rates plummet with all of these challenges. I mean, we're not even capable of having basic friendships, even relationships with family members. How can we get that back and form our wounded character? So that's what we're here to that's discuss. That's well summed up. Kind of summed it up better myself. So can I ask you, what led you to write specifically on this issue? You know, what's interesting, I just started seeing in the church, you know, as much as I've come to understand the movement of grace and and the truth that she has, the difficulty is uh, we can have, you know, still the means of grace and the truth in our life, but yet at the same time, there can be many problems. So the question is, well, if we have the truth and those things, those channels of grace that we need, is that sufficient? And from a supernatural standpoint and a natural standpoint, that's a good foundation. But no, there's still yet a, we still have a human nature that still has to be properly nurtured and developed. And I came to learn more and more the earlier stage of development, the more vital of that formation. And so I came to learn, first of all, that it was very vital to see the formation of the nature of the human person be done very, very well at the beginning. But certainly that continued through all the way through adolescence. So really it's a lifelong plan. And I was very struck by a passage of Pius XI when he was addressing parents. I'm only paraphrasing. He said, it's not sufficient for a parent to form a child for their eternal salvation alone. But every child must be formed intellectually, morally, physically, emotionally, sociologically. And I'm, I'm missing one. But and I thought, and he says this should not be done in, in general way, but you know, with specific uh, advice and counsel involved. And I'm thinking, gosh, where's the manual for this? You know, so <laughs> yes, and I, so this is somewhat. This dissertation was a study of church teaching on the subject, which I thought needed to be done, and so which eventually morphed into a men's ministry. But yes, there's so much involved in character formation that it's that I believe much of this information, as you you may agree is vital for parents to know. Well, and I find that it's something we don't know. It's not common yet. That's right. We'll talk about this later. A hundred years ago, That's this right. kind of fully formed character character was expected sometimes of kids, you know, by the age of 13, 15 years old. That's right. That's right. And so, yes, women were marrying off at the age of 15 and men 16, 17. And yes, we expect a fully formed character at that time. What was interesting, though, Timory, as much as I can even praise of things, uh, in the past, and even as you mentioned, it's good to read things that are happened in ages past. 
But you read uh, manuals maybe 100 to 120, 150 years ago. Some of those need their own correctives, too. Some of those were mm-hmm. quite rigid and harsh, especially about sexuality. Right. Oh, my gosh. I met, I, I've read some of these old manuals even given to priests and religious as well. <laughs> oh, my gosh, I wanted to hyperventilate. Oh, when no I, wonder it became a problem. Yeah, and so that I, I could see clearly how that, yes, that became a problem in the seminaries in the yeah. 40s, 50s. Especially. So in much of your thesis, kind of setting the backdrop here, you really look at, well, what has the church taught over the last hundred years that we can incorporate into this fully formed character? Sure. And one of the things that you really emphasize, even in your work and the fact that you're predominantly working with men, is that the church since its beginning has always emphasized the formation of the woman, the female as a female and the male as a male. And in fact, for those who love St. John Paul the Great, one of my favorite quotes actually from the theology of the body when he was preaching this catechesis back in November of 1979, he refers to this, and I'm paraphrasing some of it, of two ways of being a body. He talks about it as two ways of self-knowledge and complementarity. He talks about two ways of complementarity of being conscious of the meaning of your body. And he even talks about two ways of self-determination. One way is as a woman, one way Mm -hmm. is as a man. That's right. And so each really, the character development, even when the church talks about, when he uses the word sex in some of the documents, it's about that integral part of the person as male and female. It doesn't simply mean, you know, the sexual act or things like that. So, yes, sexuality is something that touches maleness and femaleness, touches the way we think, the way we act, the way we feel, our roles in society. It it touches everything that we do. And so to, to properly form that is vital in order that we that proper expression be there. In fact, this is what I think part of what what holds men and women back from harmonious relationships is not acting that proper role as male and female. That's Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy here on Trending with Timory. If you're not able to stay with us for the whole episode, head over to radiotrending.com. The episode is available now. You can listen to it later or share it with a friend. As we're talking about these two ways of being that St. John Paul the Great emphasizes in truly in the living tradition of the church, the living tradition of all of society that we're either male or female, it only seems like the last, I don't know, Really, the last 30 years, we're trying to say there are no differences. And then the last 60 years, we tried to manipulate what male and female looked like. Uh, But what should be done to form the character as a man and to form the character as a woman, especially within the realm of adolescence? No matter what state in life we embrace, the fullness of fatherhood and the fullness of motherhood needs to be developed in the human person. Right. It's vital, too, for even those who do not embrace the mar- married state. So for, for priests, it's so vital that they have that fullness of formation of fatherhood. And for women, no matter what state, that fullness of formation for motherhood. Right. So you're talking whether you're single, you're married, you're religious, whatever that might be. And people forget this. And I love it when I talk to young people who are struggling with the idea, let's say a young woman who's struggling with the idea of motherhood, physical, biological motherhood, they're afraid. And I talk about, well, your your purpose, your meaning as a human being is to be a spiritual mother, you know, and you may end up choosing a vocation such as religious life where you do not end up having children. And I think that this softening of a man or a woman's heart toward that spiritual paternity helps them to soften to the idea of, well, maybe I could have children. Uh, maybe this actually is part of my responsibility. Well, certainly that, that spiritual maternity, it perfects the natural paternity and maternity. 
because it brings it in some way to a higher level. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all called to guide and we're all called to lead. And so and so we're all we're all again, we're all called to be mothers and we're all called to be fathers. I find though that Timory, as much as in the spiritual realm, the spiritual dimension, I think one of the things that men and women are lacking for which they they fail in the desire to have children is they're not exposed to many positive experiences where children are around, Mm. family events. You know, I was in a wedding um, last July outside Nashville, Tennessee, and one of the brothers set up this uh, family Olympics, and there were about 150 people, just family members of the community, all getting together and competing in, you know, to the extent that they compete, young and old together. And a family affair. I mean, it was almost surreal. It's something people don't normally experience. And so when we experience the joy in being around family life, um, that's what makes men want to be fathers and women want to be mothers, I think. So more of those positive experiences of what it is around to be in these family ambience that, that bring a lot of joy. One way to emphasize why this formation needs to occur both in the boy as a future man and a girl as a future woman is just in looking at the fact that, you know, and I present this to young people, St. John Paul the Great talks about how femininity in a way confirms itself before masculinity and masculinity affirms itself before femininity. Sure. And I explain this, especially to college students, and they're always just wound by, I said, just imagine for one second that you're on a college campus and there was not a single woman. Not a single woman in the whole world. What would your life look like? And I'm not just talking from the perspective of sexuality. And the men would, the young boys in the college age would be so um, shocked by that idea even being a possibility. And they Mm -hmm. were horrified by it. I always make the joke, you know, women were like, oh yeah, we'd be fine, you know. But no, you know, (laughs) the, the truth of the matter is there would be something so fundamentally missing. And this was the state of Adam alone in the garden of Eden. And this is the state of when we do not have that model of femininity masculinity and seeing the other that we lose sight of well there's something that i'm supposed to develop into that's right and that's right and so you know in a very simple paradigm i mean we understand the the color if we can call it this color black when we superimpose it against white and vice versa so when we compare white and black the contraries manifest each other better so in a parallel way with men and women we see their roles and see something that are nature and when, when we see them together, working together, and then we could see that complement, not just simply the complementarity, but the, the specific traits each has to understand the roles and the duties and the, the characteristics proper to each. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. We're going to dive deeper into well, what does that formed character look like? What are key areas that need to be present? What were the expectations before? Before we do that, I want to talk about something you mentioned in your dissertation, this idea of a sexed a characteristic, um, kind of uh, that our character is sexed in a sense, you know, and I, I mean that, you know, I'm saying that word and that word has a completely different <laughs> meaning sure. in today's culture. But, um, you know, we look at modern day sex education and it's looked at as literally sexual education. How do you do it? Uh, how do you, you know, quote unquote, be preventative and so forth and safe? Yet a sex characteristic is to recognize that our character needs to be formed as male or female. Right. Men and women think differently. They act differently. They even feel differently. And certain of those things have to be validated. Now we can get into the specifics of that. But one of the things that we'll start with is that the women have a special aptitude for what is concrete in particular, and for men, the abstract and the universal. 
Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. We're back with Trending. First, a message about our sponsors. Solidarity HealthShare is simple to help pay for affordable, quality health care. They enable the community to share in each other's eligible medical expenses. You choose a doctor that you want to see. Even integrative and alternative medical treatments are eligible. Solidarity HealthShare helps pay for NAPRO technology and costs associated with natural family planning. Solidarity HealthShare is dedicated to both faith and your health care. Information is available at SolidarityHealthShare.org. That's SolidarityHealthShare.org. Dr. Philip Chavez of the Men's Academy is with me in studio. And we're talking about his major work in character formation, which made up much of what led him to his PhD. And so I want to dive into, you know, we talk about the gift of self as the goal. And just a brief summary for those who maybe aren't familiar with theology of the body. One of the fundamental ideas that we can see on a biological level that points to spiritual dimension is in the garden here, Adam and Eve here Adam is alone. God recognizes that Adam is alone. Adam's looking at all of creation. He's recognizing there's something different about me. There's something that I'm not experiencing. There's this potency and there's Mm -hmm. this profound loneliness. And so God creates Eve. And in that moment, Adam looks at Eve and he has this phrase that you guys hear all the time where he goes, ah, it's like this moment, finally, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. He's not just so saying that because he sees, you know, the other before him, but he's saying that because even on the biological reality, the male and female bodies are oriented toward fitting together, as we'd say, right, in the sexual sure. act. But it points to a spiritual dimension that our whole life, not just our body, but our whole spiritual gift of self is made to be given as a gift. The whole meaning of my life is summarized on the cross where Christ gives himself completely and freely for life-giving, self-giving love. But how do you and I get there? That's right. That's what your work really focuses on. Exactly. So let's talk about how do we get to the point where we have this self-possession and the ability to actually give ourselves, because we have to kind of hold ourselves in order to give ourselves. How do we get there? Other words have been used like self-control or self-mastery. And I'm, I'm not going to, there's, there's slight differences between the three, but I think they can all be used interchangeably. Generally, When we talk about what it is to be human, we have certain faculties for which we must have self-control or self-possession. It's in our intellect and our will, our feelings and our emotions. And so so there must be some kind of equilibrium or balance or proper formation that is intellectual, that is the formation of will, the formation of feelings, the formation of the emotions. And so so self-possession would be in some way in, in our human being, these all integrate actually within each other, right? But in some way, uh, they can all be separated as well. Now, we won't get too complicated, but we certainly can understand the, what the formation of the intellect is on different things which we can learn and all the rest. And there's, there's deeper levels of just knowledge and understanding and then actually wisdom, right? I won't go through all those three because that's so much as important as going into the will. Now, why is that? When we talk about character and, and the character of a person, Fundamentally, it's manifest by what they do, how they act, right? You think a certain way, uh, I can't see your thoughts. You feel a certain way, I can't feel what you feel. 
but you act a certain way. And so I can see your actions, right? Now, your actions bespeak of what's already the way you've been formed, okay, intellectually. They bespeak of how your will's been formed and your feelings have been formed, your emotions have been formed. All of that manifests itself in the way that you act, right? And you act through your will. And so we say will is the axis of all character formation, right? It's, it's, when, it's, it's that manifestation of what's in the character, of how they act. So, so in some way, we can even drill that down. I mean, the, the intellect will affect it, the emotions, the feelings. But, but ultimately, it's about, um, or not, I won't say ultimately, but in a, in a certain core level, it is about the formation of the will. And we talk about formation of the character. Now, and so sometimes it used to actually be used interchangeably, okay? But in any case, the formation of the will is about what it is in the, in the will. The will is about human action, right? And the will, it's uh, the, the proper object that we say in philosophy for the intellect is the truth, what is true. The proper object of the will of human action is the good, mm -hmm. right? And so in, in all of our willing, ultimately, we want to act for the good. Now, in that, in that good, there are, um, we, could, we could say when, we, when there is human action, there are things we, can, we need to, to actually work toward, and there's things we need to avoid. And so in, in the development of, of the child, you always lead them to learn, you teach them, okay, these are the goods by which you must gravitate to. So, you know, even teaching a child, you, you know, even they may not like the, uh, the, the broccoli, the Brussels sprouts, I always told my mother I was allergic to Brussels sprouts, but <laughs> nonetheless, you tell them, well, this is good for you. So you orient the child to learn how to like it. And you buy your own example of eating them. They could see, oh, this maybe is tolerable. So, but, but also, and there's evils to avoid. You keep your children away from things that may be hot or may, may cut themselves, right? But, but you teach them as they go along. Now, those, these are very simple examples, right, of, of custody of the will to, 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 to attain the good and to avoid the evils. But in, in that, what gets more delicate and what, what happens in a woman's role that I think it's, easy, it's a mother's role, even more so than the father's, when she deals with children at very intimate and delicate ages, one of the things that's incumbent upon a mother that's, that's, that's vital in the raising of the child is that their emotional formation which, or their emotions must be properly um, um, directed. And so if you see your child, it's okay if you watch them get properly angry by something that happens because anger is, can be a natural emotion which is manifest because of a, a, a good not being able to be attained or an evil not being able to avoid avoided. And so in, in this sense, so there, there's, there's a training uh, toward good and toward evil for which, you know, the will must be controlled. And so what, what, what a parent must teach a child that um, when you see your child being inordinate, you know, getting excessively angry, this is when you need to calm them down. When you see them not achieving the goods, you need to direct them to tr probably what is their true good. And so there's a lot of direction a child needs at its, at its early stages. But as you say, and you, you mentioned earlier, I forget it with this segment or, or, or before, is that most of what is manifested is, is nonverbal, 80% or probably even higher. So the child actually understands a self-control, a self-mastery of feelings and emotions, not so much by what you teach them, but by what's in yourself. Isn't that interesting? You're listening to Trending with Timory. That's Dr. Philip Chavez. If you're just joining us, 
So a child will look at the modeling of what a parent does. They're not right. so much processing how the person thinks, the words that they're saying. They're learning truth. They're learning goodness through the things that the parent does. And same thing, you know, maybe you don't have children, you're listening, but we ourselves need to be better formed in our character. You learn what is true and what is good by the people you surround yourself with, the things that you read and watch. And you imbibe those things and those actions. I mean, we all, uh, generally speaking, you and I both, you know, we we have certain, you probably have certain characteristics of your mother you never thought about that you just have intuitively and innately. And I do of my father. It's not anything that he had to teach me in any direct way, but it was through his example. I just have certain habits that he had. One was working with his hands. In fact, it was fascinating. Once I was a little boy, you see my father working with his hands. He was very good at taking things apart. For some reason, I just imbibed that. I used to be able to fix almost anything when I was a young boy. And so in the same way, my sisters had certain manifestations of, of, of my mother, too, I see in them that I I'd sometimes amusingly point out to them. But in any case, um, yeah, so so th- there's, a, there's a delicate formation. Again, there's things you could teach your children, but but again, the, their control of the will and the things that they gravitate to toward the, the attainment of goods and the avoidance of evils. But also, what's also uh, Im- is so important, remember, by the time a child is about the age of six, when it reaches the age of reason, there's certain, the, the character identity is, is fundamentally set. And it's, it's hard to imagine at that early of age. That's why early formation is so vital. And to set the child in, on its path toward a sense, certain piece of soul, a certain uh, uh, peaceful resignation, uh, har- harmony of soul, that's all set before the age of six. That is huge. And I think something a lot of people don't recognize. And I know a lot of social studies and psychology points to the fact that when a child, even just in the first two years, sure. if there hasn't been enough contact and unconditional love, physical contact from the parents, that can really cause a stymie in the development of the child that right. can never be gotten back. And so what you're saying is that character formation starts and needs to be in many ways a process have already occurred by six. So what needs to be formed by that age range well basically so a child can only be formed so much intellectually right and even control of will the most primal thing that needs to be formed as much as i talk about formation of will is the formation of the emotions Mm -hmm. and so for the child to be in a peaceful now most of that's indirect but for a child to be formed in a peaceful setting in a setting where it can find calm in a setting where it can find a certain peace um, that's vital. And sometimes really what happens is in great measure, that's simply through the presence of a mother. Yeah, this is fascinating because essentially that's affirmation that the child needed to receive by the age of six to have that affirmation in that good integrated emotional attitude by them. But we're seeing right now, if you take a cell phone away from a kid and some of the studies that they're showing, the kids do not know how to handle all of the emotions they suddenly experience. They've never learned how to. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. And so so even to teach, yes, to guide them. Now, what I think one of the reasons, the reasons that they don't is because the parents aren't around, especially a mother, to teach them. Now, a mother, one of the reasons why women are so delicate emotionally, I once heard a woman say it's important for a man to understand a woman's emotions are almost like a child because they're so delicate and so fine. That is because... The training that they give to children at the earliest ages is so vital and their, their, their emotional level has got to be very delicate to connect with a child and to form them 
in the youngest and the most tenderest of ages. Mm -hmm. And so this is ability of only, well, I wouldn't say only women, but for the most part, which women have that men really don't have, There's which is vital. There's a sensitivity exactly. that women have toward their children, toward their husbands, and toward other people within the community. That's right, and it's vital. You're listening to Trending with Timur. If you want to hear more, you can head over to radiotrending.com. Follow me on Instagram at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I'm back with Dr. Philip Chavez, who is the head of the Men's Academy and an expert in the areas of character formation. We hear this, this emphasis through St. John Paul the Great's Theology of the Body and in much of the church's sex education today that we're called to be a gift of self, no matter what your vocation is. And that gift of self ultimately leads, as Dr. Chavez and I were just talking about, to the fulfillment of who you are, to authentic happiness, to the fullness of who you are as a human being. And so we're talking about how do we get there in a culture that is struggling to attain the ability to give oneself, not only to another person in marriage, but to actually give themselves selflessly to their work, to give themselves selflessly to their relationships. Right. Yeah, and so it's vital, and so the end of good character formation is just to repeat what you said, is so that we can give of ourselves, really in in family life, um, in a very particular way, and that itself will make a stronger church and a stronger society. In your work in your dissertation, you quote John Redden and Francis Ryan talking about what shapes, what do we see in a formed character. We already talked about knowledge earlier and how important knowledge is. We talked about how by the age of six, emotionally, that child should really have a good understanding of his or her own emotions. But let's talk about some of the other elements, right? Habits, worthwhile skills, for example. Right. You know, for a man, there's a number of skills like for a character that he needs to develop when he's he's growing. You know, if we're forming a man, say, in his adolescence or a male in his adolescence, he's moving from 13 to 18. We want to form him to the fullness of what it is to be a man. He must have certain skills which enable him to be that leader, that protector and that provider. Right. And so, you know, it's interesting. Scouting was considered one viable way of doing that. In fact, the founder of Scouts thought scouting was itself uh, one of the most needful things to form men. Because what happens in scouting is men will, will learn a number of skills about survival, about the outdoors. And, and what I find, too, is, is one of the theories of Baden-Powell was that um, formation in the outdoors is often some of the best formation that he can, one, a man can have for life generally. In other words, if he can learn how to forge out in the wilderness with the little that he has to work with or the lot that he has to work with, but even with the minimum amount of tools, learns how to forge, to hunt, to track, and to cook, and to survive— those skills are so vital in teaching a boy what it is in, his, in the workplace, in the home, in doing what he needs to do around the house. Those skills that he can learn in nature really do go back, at least the fundamental things are implanted skills that he can actually use in, in the, the work in the domestic arena. And so this is why it's so vital for him to have these exposures. But also, too, you know, there's certain things he needs to do. Even his own, it's very important that a man have the proper physical formation, that he be able to lift things properly that he'd be able to exert himself well, yet not overexert himself, that he get the right rest, 
But um, isn't that interesting? Because it's all about doing things correctly, learning, you know, right. small responsibilities, learning survival, all of which are forming your character to preserve yourself because you have to preserve yourself in order to give yourself. That's true. And you guys understand where you're going that way. Yeah. So in, on another very practical example, now I was very blessed. My father, you know, it's interesting. He had certain aptitudes very well and others he didn't have as, as, as well. But one of the things he could do, he could work with his hands. So when I was a little boy, I used to be able to wield a hammer when I was five and a saw when I was six or seven. Oh, yeah, I cut myself and I hurt myself every now and then. But, but basically, I was able to do things and fix things on the outset. And isn't it the case Every woman wants a man in their life that can do things and to fix things. I was in a conference one, one time, and I heard a woman kind of belt out, yeah, what good is a man anyways if he can't fix a toilet? You know, so women want men that can do things. And so it's incumbent upon a father, especially to teach his son, how to fix a variety of things. And, you know, even how to work on a car, how to build an addition is so valuable if a, if a man could learn how to do that. Just how to how to fix things, how to use just basic tools. It's sad that many men today, many young men especially, cannot wield a screwdriver well. That would have been unintelligible when I was growing up. And people, men even laugh at the, their inability to do these things. And it's absolutely shocking because some laugh with great discomfort at times. Like, oh, I don't even know how to do that. You That's know, right. oh man, I'm useless. And they'll make the joke, but they feel that way. Yet when you see young men today who are capable and are able, or even they learn as adults to do certain basic tasks around the house to fix things, they feel so good about themselves because they're able to contribute in some way. That's right. One of the building things that, that I saw in my own characters, I grew up and I, I didn't really see this till later. I had six younger sisters, okay? Always had a broken bike <laughs> or shoes or skates or whatever. And so, you know, coming from a family of 10, you know, money wasn't easy. When something broke, guess what? We fixed it. Now we took everything apart and we most of the time got things back together. But one of the things I learned to do, which is so valuable, is to serve my sisters by fixing their bikes or whatever was broken or binding up their wounds, right? And learning how to do this and to serve them that way. One of the things I see myself, even as I move forward a man, I try to serve all the women that I see. So I'm very attentive to their needs. And so that training early on helped me to be very attentive to a woman's needs. And I see many women actually as my sisters, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. And I serve them as if they were my sister. Mm -hmm. So that development, in, in, in a sense, this is a certain, you could say this is a, a gift to myself. I'm able to fix something. I, I give a gift to myself in that respect. Now, this is incipient, or this is, can be beginning or foundational for a man who serves a woman who even must be careful and serve her well, delicately in her emotion. So if, he's, if he can be accustomed to serving his sisters and his mother in even small things, that can make him sensitive to her needs that are even just emotional needs. Do you follow what I'm saying Absolutely. here? Or feelings? And so one of the things men need to be very attuned to, as I mentioned before, is a woman's delicate psychological state or psychological sensitivity, rather. In other words, that women can easily be bludgeoned by the harshness of a man, can easily be wounded or hurt by the, his hardness or his assertiveness or his boldness. Um, or just the outright silence sometimes. That's true. That's true. And so just the very fact that he can make himself, if he learns how to make himself available to serve her, he can actually learn how to make himself available just to be with her.
that you're, makes sense. You're listening to Trending with Timory. That's Dr. Philip Chavez. We're talking about how do we finish that fully formed character to become a gift of self, which is kind of the pinnacle of our life and giving ourselves to others. You know, as you're talking about this attentiveness toward others, I think about how inattentive many men are today. That's right. Uh, all the way down to the simplest thing. And I know a lot of people here listening would agree, you know, not even noticing when someone's carrying something really heavy and it's difficult and you're struggling or, you know, opening a door just to be to polite. I'm giving sure. two very simple ways. And I know some women say, oh, I don't need a man to do it. Okay, you may not need a man to do it, but don't you want men and women, I mean, but specifically meant to be more attentive to the needs of others. And this is something that must continue to be formed in young people. And I love how you're saying that through these tactile elements, yes. it creates this attentiveness. Yes. And that's really how we how we learn. Yeah. And, and, and going into these deeper elements through some of these more simple things. Let's talk about a couple other things in here as well. So in this section, you point to a quote where it talks about how even the things that we appreciate need to be formed. You know, the formation of things that we look at as good, you know, things that, oh, man, you know, I'm satisfied in this. Those appreciations. Am I appreciating the right things? And that should be taught. That's right. Even to appreciate uh, nature, you know, when a father takes um, and girls appreciate this too. men appreciate it in a different mode. But it's, it's so important that children learn how to appreciate good music. They learn how to appreciate nature. <laughs> that would help with a lot of the crap people listen to today. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if we want to call it music. But in any case, <laughs> yes, there's a number of things that when, when especially through the example of the parent, when there's things that are to be appreciated, what is good or true or beautiful. And when a parent sees that and delight, a child learns that, gosh, I can get delight from that truth of that beauty as well. And so for our love for knowledge, our, our love for arts, our love for what is right and good and virtue and true, when, when a child sees that we take delight in doing and acting in that, they will imitate that and they will, they will actually in some way, I think in the beginning, marvel at that, not to understand it, but the more and more we come to, under, to, to, to grow in this appreciation for, for what is truly what is good, um, that will develop us or develop the children into um, or they instigate in their development and are also a, a deep level of appreciation, which, again, is, is nonverbal that I think is vital in what they need to learn. One of the neat areas that's mentioned in this list in your dissertation as well is that memory should be trained. Even the memories that we have. I thought that was fascinating. So not only am I thinking of it from the perspective perspective of what memories we retain, sure. but what we memorize, the good things we memorize. Yes. And along those lines, what's very, very important, this is why telling stories is very, very important and telling especially stories of one's past. I mean, children deep down love hearing stories about their parents and their grandparents and maybe even great grandparents if we know them. And it used to be, it used to be certainly in ancient times, but um, even my grandfather, they never knew him. He died before I lived. But he used to be able to take children in the park and tell them stories even for hours straight. That's how captivating he was. But he, he taught how to train the memory through stories. And the mm -hmm. children would learn these stories. This is why it's so important for to train, especially uh, children, women especially, they have a very acute ability to memorize the spoken word, right, or to, to not forget it. And so, and so when they hear stories properly told and even sometimes repeated, it trains the memory to understand these things. And then, we're in the, then when they're longer, it can train the child to keep their attention. So if you learn how to, how to train a, ch a child in an interesting story or train them or by telling them an interesting story, it can keep their attention span for a time. 
So you see, therefore, it's one of the things that's not training children today is their attention span, right? It's very mm-hmm. short. Why is that? Because they haven't had good training, you know, in what it is to maybe hear stories through. Now, they got to be interesting. If they're boring, the children are tuned out. So whatever the children are told, now when I say hours and stuff like that, my grandfather used to, maybe he used to go over. But, but by telling these things that are engaging, it does develop um, an, an interest in learning these things, but also um, the ability to keep focus and concentration. Whether it's the memory, whether it's right reason, whether it's right judgment, habits, knowledge, worthwhile skills, these are all things that play a pivotal part in forming the character so that we can have that disciplined will. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. In a lot of my work surrounding chastity education, there's always been a quote from the catechism that has stood out and it talks about this idea of self-governance, this idea that only through that self-governance will we essentially attain happiness. We read that essentially the alternative is clear. If we don't have this self-dominion, that essentially will become unhappy. But if we learn to govern our own passions, we will find peace. That's Catechism 2339. And When I read this, it's always been so much more to me than just, you know, self-control and self-dominion with regard to the sexual act. Sure. It's always been understanding like, no, this is who I am. Those who are just joining us, Dr. Philip Chavez is in studio with me from the Men's Academy. He has really a major expertise in the area of character formation and especially in his work with men now. This idea of self-mastery, of governing your own passions you find peace like where is the path to happiness this is it it is and again let's drill this down here because this this passage at least we're looking at the catechism 2339 there's something missing here at least in the fullness of explanation here what again what are the passions oriented oriented to self-mastery about what again the governance of will toward the pursuit of certain goods right and so in life, God has created for us certain goods to be enjoyed, and those goods need to be used properly. At the same time, there's certain things which are, we could say, call them evils, or things to be, bad things to be avoided, right? And so what in the passions, and with the governance of the passions, or the self-mastery, when you drill down to it in simplest terms, what is it? It's the right measure and balance. Oh, I don't like the word balance. I'll explain maybe later why. But, but it's, it's the right measure pursuing goods and avoiding the evils, right? So, and it's, it's, about, it's about enjoying what we can in right measure and avoiding what we need to can in right measure. So even whether it's food or drink or entertainment or, you know, even sexual conjugal, the conjugal act of marriage, that has to be enjoyed in right measure every you know if it's done in extreme any in any of those um, that will ultimately lead to unhappiness because our nature is designed such that there are certain goods we can only handle so much for our well-being and for our peace of soul some goods we can have almost infinitely which can be grace even to a certain extent knowledge but we got to be even careful that we don't have a certain preoccupation about learning too much you may have seen this in university studies some people are so inundated with just wanting to learn a lot of things and that's not healthy either but again we're also supposed to learn what it is to avoid things right and and so it's good to endure hardship 
But if we endure too much hardship, I've seen people, and it's good, we need to do penance. It is not healthy for the human person, generally speaking, to do excessive penance. So even penance must be done in right measure, right? So reaching the proper goods is done in right measure. And if we avoid those things which are, which are bad for us in right measure, or only participate you know, in the proper measure we should in, in terms of hardships, then we could find peace. Because the human, the human person, God's designed us to achieve certain things, to attain certain things, and to avoid certain things, that when they're done in right measure, that ultimately brings human happiness because it's an integrated enjoyment of those goods. Well, and if we look at the definition of chastity in relation to that, chastity is essentially an integrated sexuality. It's to be faithful to your vocation. Well, what's your vocation? You're either male or female. From there, you may be married, you may be single, but your ultimate vocation, the greatest fidelity you can give to your vocation is to holiness to orient yourself to living a holy life now. So in our character development, that's the properly integrated sexuality, not just from a sexualization, but as male and as female. That's right. Okay. And so in that pursuit of holiness, there's things to be done in that pursuit, right? Things to be done and things to be avoided, yeah. right? And so, so things to be done, maybe in our prayer and our reading in our self offerings and our, and our works for others. Things to be avoided, certain pleasures must be avoided certain times, certain things we must do um, that, that we have to abnegate, that we have to let go of. And so that develops a proper spiritual journey. But again, when it comes to the desire for in, in the area of chastity and sexuality, it's important that we understand. Now, this may get a little too complicated. I'm not sure at the outset for which we may not be able to, to work through this very well. Remember, chastity isn't around the, so much the moderation of the right action as it is primarily what it is to moderate the desires for sexual pleasure. In fact, this is in its definition. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so in other words, chastity, yes, we want, to, we want to manifest a character that's chaste for which we do chaste acts, that's true. But we don't define it that way so much as that the desire for sexual pleasure is rightly ordered within us. So you can have a you can have a a, a woman who's chaste uh, in terms of her actions, but if she's so preoccupied about sexuality, or even a man, this probably hold, hold, holds even more case <laughs> for a man, right? He can with, withhold himself from engaging in, in sexual activity or thought. But if there's something in his nature that that over desires or is over you know uh, aspiring to engage in this, he does not have that virtue. Well, and I think on the contrast for women, this overly like I need to be beautiful, but more so the need to be sexually attractive that I think many women struggle with is sure. they've unfortunately they've reduced themselves to their sh- sexual attractiveness, but they view sexual attractiveness as beauty, and sexual attractiveness isn't beauty. That's true. Beauty can be objective right something is a beautiful a beautiful landscape it doesn't have to become sexually attractive and desirable that's right and and trust me believe it or not even for men a woman who has a lovely personality and if she were otherwise plain she's more beautiful than um, a woman with um, say a sexually appealing uh, features about her because ultimately when it comes with a woman and marriage and all the rest, a man enjoys a woman with a good personality that's harmonious, that's peaceful, that's joyful, that's exuberant, that's, that's delightful, right? Mm-hmm. So a woman who can have those characteristics, 
yet even be plain looking, if I'm allowed to use those words, okay, even be plain looking is actually very, uh, very delightful and, and a great blessing to a man. And so, in fact, this is what I, um, one of the things I wanted to say in another segment is that, or what I've otherwise liked to mention is that one of the reasons I don't, I don't think that, that men are sticking with women um, oftentimes is because they're not getting that healthy, higher delight from them of personality. Oftentimes women can be contentious or difficult or they're not, you know, yielding to a man's direction or are not harmonious just to be with. Or, or in effect, this is why, again, why I think a woman, a man will leave a woman after she's had an abortion. Her personality is just too hard to bear for him. Mm-hmm. It becomes overbearing, all those wounds. He, he retreats from that, right? Mm-hmm. So again, it's these things which make um, ultimately that character personality and when a woman is chased ultimately too that's the woman that a man deeply respects as well that's dr philip chavez of the men's academy you're listening to trending with timory as you're talking about this kind of a turning away from female relationships among men it makes sense in it's sad that people are avoiding relationships because we're lacking character we're lacking and to have your character formed doesn't mean that you no longer have personality we need personality we need to be delightful we need to be joyful joyfulness is one of the virtues and i think that that joyfulness and delight is really missing because of this lack of formation understanding what is good and what is true how can we be delightful to be around if we don't even know what's right that's right one of the things that keeps people from being delightful today they're overworked and so a lot of times when you see people instead of finding them refreshed and able to you know, take on new things and enjoy things, they're exhausted from the week, you mm-hmm. know. And so this is, I think, actually really believe it, the struggles between husband and wives now, they both uh, work so hard in their own endeavors that there's very little time to enjoy each other and they're always tired, they're always fatigued. This is one of the reasons I, don't, I believe a lot don't go to Sunday Mass. Well, it's a frequent excuse. I need to sleep in on Sunday, right? So I'm not saying it's valid, but but in some sense, yes, they do need to sleep in. And so and so the problem is, I think what's happening too is is one of the reasons for the conflicts of men and women. We're not properly refreshed to enjoy each other, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. We're being overworked and overtaxed in many instances. And I think that's a key area to think about, and something you know, having gotten married this year. And working at this time, uh, I have to remember, and even traveling on the weekends, I can't give my worst at the end of the day when my husband's that's home. Right, yeah. uh, that's when I'm called to give my best. But in all relationships, you know, yeah. you can't give your best just at work and your worst at home just because you're tired. It doesn't work that way. That's right. And getting back to one of our original themes, you know, again, this is all toward that um, that, that gift of self that needs to be eventually expressed, you know, mm-hmm. so it's wonderful to have a good personality that's harmonious and joyful and exuberant and, and just delightful to be around. But when a man is around, I'll speak from the perspective of a man, is he's around a woman who's very generous and is very self-giving, has such a spirit of self-giving. I think that he can respond to that very well. It edifies him and it builds him up and it wants to serve her in return. You know, sometimes men learn lessons late and they sometimes learn them the hard way and they learn them after after a long time. But it's usually the patient wife, you know, who's long standing in her fidelity, in her exuberance, in her service that tends oftentimes to win a man over who otherwise may be hard or not as giving uh, or not as, as as we were as we've been saying, as not as willing to give of himself. I think of that quote from St. John Paul the Great in his Theology of the Body work. 
talks about how in every longitude and latitude, femininity in some way will find itself before masculinity and masculinity will find itself before fem femininity. It's that self-discovery in the complementarity between men and women. And I think a lot of men aren't sure. rising to the occasion because they're struggling to see that complementarity, that challenge, and even that calling forth that men and women give each other. Yes. And one of, one, one of the reasons is on a just very simple level is just to patiently spend time and be in the presence of a woman. It's so important to, to learn how to be very present and to give time to that relationship in very calm and very attentive ways. And of course, certainly women want the attention of men and men want the attention of women, but it's when we're able to give that, make ourselves truly available to each other, that's when we find true growth and, uh, and happiness among the sexes. You've been listening to Trending with Timory. Thank you for being with us. If you want to learn more, discover more episodes, you can head over to radiotrending.com and even check out topics where we dive deeper into the issue of happiness. How do I become happy? This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guests, visit radiotrending.com. That's radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 